So uh, yesterday we were having a party for Simone and she's leaving to go to Cape Town and Nikki came up to me and said uh, that she spoke to her dad and her dad said, who's preaching today? And her dad, uh, she said, Mark's preaching. And he's like, oh, is he the guy with all the stories? So um, she said, yes, that's the guy. You've got the right guy there. So I'll stay true to my colors and I'll kick it off. There'll be a couple. Um, when I was 19... I answered God's call to missions, and I went to Pretoria for training, six months training. And the um, the main guy in charge of the campsite, it was a Christian campsite, his name was Marius, and he started the day off the same way every day. He would ring a, a big gong, and at quarter to six in the morning, I mean, that seems so easy to me now with small kids, but when I was 19... <laughs> So, I mean, some of you guys might feel me, yeah, but at quarter to six in the morning, every day. There was no Sabbath for that. There was no um, weekend. It was every day, quarter to six, rings the gong, and think of Pretoria, dead winter, frost on the grass. So we would crawl out of our warm, cozy beds, still in our pajamas and our blankets, and we'd all head into a communal hall about this size. It was freezing. It was worse in the hall than it was outside, and... Um, He'd wait for everyone to amble in, and he'd look around, and once we were all there, he would shout at the top of his lungs, Good morning, saints! With a big grin on his face. It was the most irritating um, morning greeting, and um, I don't feel saintly at the best of times, but at six o'clock in the morning, um, in a freezing room, I feel... I felt remarkably unsanctified, and I really thought he was mocking me. I was like, he knows I don't want to be here. He knows the last thing I want to do right now is have a devotion and go and pray. I just want to climb back into my bed, calling me a saint. And uh, this message is inspired by him and his morning greetings. Um, the title, for those of you writing it down, I know we all, most of us uh, just finished school, and the last thing you want to do is write something down, but just in case there's someone out there, um, is Sinners saints and slaves. So there's some alliteration for you English junkies. And um, the, the message fits a lot with kind of what I think God was saying to us during our time of worship. And um, I feel like God was talking to us about surrender. And um, these three words uh, play to identity and trying to understand our identity in Christ. But a big part of that identity and Growing in our relationship with the Lord is being willing to truly surrender our lives, even as Christians, um, to the Lord. And I'm going to go through each one of these words, um, and I'm going to follow that kind of story pattern of my, my own life. We are going to get into the Word as well, uh, eventually. And, um, and then, yeah, I'm really trusting that the Lord's going to challenge you tonight. Um, when... When I went to training, out of those three words, sinner, saint, and slave, the one I had a handle on the best was sinner. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was a sinner. You didn't have to debate it with me. You didn't have to convince me. It was well established. I could give you pages and pages of evidence should you require it. And so I was quite comfortable actually being referred to as a sinner I knew that's what I was. I was a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I was so glad 
that the Bible refers to him as a friend of sinners because he was my best and is my best friend. And um, I knew that he loved me. I knew that he'd forgiven me of all of my sins and I was walking in a relationship with him. But when Maria said, good morning, saints, I struggled with it. And it wasn't just because of the time of the morning. I would think about it throughout the day. Every day, he's calling me a saint. And the reason why I'm struggling with it is my view of a saint and my life don't match up. Mother Teresa, saint. I, can't, I actually don't have too many more examples. But that's the, the, <laughs> that's the level. Okay, we'll stop there. Right? So that's what I thought it was a saint. It was someone who was living almost a perfect life, who was serving like the poorest of the poor and in the slums of India. That's a saint. Mark, um, even Mark going to the training base in Pretoria, I knew a man People might have a view of missions or missionary. I knew what I was. And it became very clear to me when I arrived there that the other 50 people were no better. We were all the same. God had just called us by grace to serve him. And we were all sinners. And um, so I don't think I was the only one struggling with the term saint. I didn't match up. Um, and I wondered, I thought about it before I greeted you. I, I considered it at the 10, at the 9. I thought, what would you do and how would you think if I started this message by saying, instead of good morning church or good evening church, good evening saints? I wonder what would have been the first thought in your mind. Would it have been like, I embrace that as truth. I am a saint. Or would it have been a little bit more like me kind of going, uh, I don't feel too comfortable with that. You didn't see me how I drove over here or how I spoke to this person today. And some of you might have even gone as far as rejecting it outright. And um, the reason is, similar to me, we have this view that a, uh, a saint is a super Christian, someone at another level to us, not a normal everyday kind of Christian like you and me. And this morning, oh, this evening, I want to take you to the Word. So if you'll open up Romans... And we're going to see what does the Bible say about this term. So turn to Romans chapter 1. And what's interesting in what we're about to read here, it's not just in the book of Romans. I could have literally asked you to open to Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Paul addresses the readers the same way in all of those letters. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 7. He says, To all who are in Rome... Beloved of God, called to be saints. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Now, he wasn't talking to all the Romans because he wrote this letter to the Roman church. But he was talking to every believer in that church. Paul didn't separate. He didn't have a a version of Christianity that was super Christian level, and I'll call you saint, and the rest will just be called Christians. He referred to every believer as a saint. And so Marius wasn't mocking me when he woke, woke us up every morning and said, good morning, saints. He was speaking truth over me. And the Lord started to work on my identity, because up until then, the way I viewed myself was a sinner, saved by grace. 
But the problem with having that as a sole viewpoint on your life, and maybe your only identity point, is the way that you think is how you act. So if you view yourself as a sinner, then that will, and only that, that will perpetuate sinful behavior in your life because you are only continuing to do that of what you are. And my behavior certainly matched that. I didn't have no problem calling myself a sinner because my behavior was in line with it. I had a big problem calling myself a saint. But if we don't have a shift in identity, the problem is our lives might not change in the way that they need to. And God started to speak to me about my identity, and he started to say to me, Mark, every believer is a saint. And I want to say that to you tonight. You are a saint. If you've been a believer for one day, um, 30 years, it makes no difference. Every single true believer in this room is a saint tonight. And we need to understand what the word means. So I looked up the Greek for you. Um, Not that I speak Greek at all. It's quite easy uh, with technology today. And Matt, by the way, studied Greek. So once I start in the office, I'll just double check all the stuff with him. But... um, the Greek word that Paul uses here for saint is called hagios. And it means to set apart. And the moment that God sets someone apart is not, you might go, did he only do that when you answered the call to missions? No, before. I was set apart the day as a 14-year-old that I surrendered my heart to Jesus. When I did that, he set me apart from all other sinners, and he positioned me in Christ, gave me a new position, a new identity. The behavior stayed the same, and that's the challenge. But the identity shifted immediately, positioned in Christ. Every single one of you who've responded to the gospel, who've surrendered your heart to Jesus, you have been positioned in Christ. It's called positional holiness. God looks at you with the righteousness of Jesus. That's how he looks at you. And that's the judgment he's declared over you, clean. And let no man call what God has called clean, unclean. Romans expounds on that later. Other people might judge us and say, no, this and this is wrong and this is wrong. But once God declares something over you, it is so. He is the judge. He's the one who makes the call. And every person who surrendered their heart to Jesus, regardless of behavior, is positioned in Christ. And you are now a saint. And once I start to understand that I'm not actually um, a sinner, I still have a sinful nature and I still sin. You might be going, Mark, are you saying that you're perfect, you don't sin anymore? No, no. I'll tell you a story in a second just to confirm that. I've got, again, pages and pages of evidence of this. And those of you that know me well could say even more. Um, I am still a sinner. I still sin. But that is not my primary identity as I stand before you anymore. I am a saint in Christ. That's the way God views me. And that's what he's declared over me. And it is true. And it can't be changed. It can't be undone. It is permanent. It is his finished work. And I'm in his hand, and he doesn't lose anyone out of his hand. He can't, because he's too perfect, he's too good, he's too strong um, to do that. So I started to get a better handle on, at the end of training, starting to get a bit more comfortable with, okay, I'm a saint. Behavior is still an issue, it's still bugging me. 
And you might be saying tonight, Mark, if, if God positioned us in Christ and he views us as um, with the righteousness of Jesus, why doesn't he just give us a righteous nature to complement that, to kind of fit with that, and then it's done and dusted? Then, it, you know, there's no more confusion. And I wish he had done that too. I wish that the moment I gave my life to the Lord, that he would have just pulled the sinful nature out of me, put a righteous nature inside of me, and it would have all gone easy from there. But God's ways are higher than our ways, and his plans uh, are better than our plans. And for some reason, God decides that we will spend the rest of our lives working this thing out, having a sinful nature, having the potential to sin constantly, and we will always do it, but now being positioned in Christ, viewed as holy. And what I'm about to talk to you about, the next thing he does, doesn't just leave us there with that sinful nature and try your best to solve this thing and you're actually done for. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you that story just to confirm I'm still a sinner. Not that you really need it, but... um, might wake up one or two of you fallen asleep. So while you're turning to Romans chapter 6, um, a couple of weeks ago, Rugby World Cup final, my wife went to uh, PE for a conference, slept overnight, drove there with friends, they drove her, and we have one key and her one instruction to me, the one thing I had to get right, other than keep the kids alive, was um, be here when I get back. Because we have one key. I can't get in. She's overnight, two bags of luggage. Don't worry, love. You can count on me. I am dependable, responsible, trustworthy. So, I mean, how hard can it be? All I have to do is be here. So, I, I don't have a TV. And before you think I'm super spiritual on that decision, we've got Netflix, we've got laptops. You guys get all that. So, right. But I don't have a TV. I don't have a way to watch sports. So, I decide oh, I'm going to go drive out to Sinsa, watch the rugby with my dad, palm off the grandkids to my mom, and, uh, oh, man, it was lovely. And we win the World Cup, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I told Anita, just let me know when you leave from PE. And I checked with my dad, who's like a speed demon. I've watched my dad literally drive through a bird, feathers flying. <laughs> he doesn't stop for anything, okay? Um, and so he... I say, Dad, how long does it take you to get from PE to East London? He says, three and a half hours. Oh, okay. I've got at least four hours, you know, maybe more, because I'm expecting the roads to be quite busy. It's Rugby World Cup final. We're all celebrating. And um, so, Anita, please, just send me a message. So I decide, because I'm a huge Liverpool fan. The game, (laughs) the rugby game ends at two, and the Liverpool game's on at five, and I'm enjoying this with my dad, and we're celebrating, we've won the World Cup. No, we're going to hang around, we're going to stay here. At 4.30, I get a WhatsApp. We are about to leave. I haven't even left yet. We are about to leave PE. Quick calculation, because I've got some maths in me. Hopper's date. Okay. Liverpool game starts at 5, finishes at 7, takes about 45 minutes to um, come from uh, Sinsa. I'm good. And I'm watching the Liverpool game, and um, Liverpool go a goal down, which those of you who follow soccer know this is odd, but they go, go a goal down. Um, and, um, and I, like, my dad says to me, you'll take a draw. We, I will not take a draw. 
There's like five minutes left in the match. We are 1-0 down. I, will, I refuse to even take a draw. We score as we do, and my dad says, now you'll take a draw. No, I refuse a draw. But at that moment, it's gone one all. There's like three or four minutes left plus injury time. I am in this game like anything. It is five to seven. I get a WhatsApp. I open my phone. <gasps> Anita, we are 30 kilometers out of uh, East London. I don't know what turbo boosters these ladies had. <laughs> I don't know what shortcuts they know about that I don't know about. But by my calculations, they hadn't even left at half past four, and it is now less than two and a half hours later, and they're literally on East London's doorstep. That's the end too, guys, 30 kilometers out. You can coast that and still get there in 15 minutes. So I'm in Sinsa. I'm 45 minutes away. With two children I haven't prepped. They are still running around, <laughs> okay? Those of you that aren't married yet, I'm in big trouble. I have messed up big time. And it's about to get worse. So I quickly, like, like, I look at the game. I'm still, there's a bit of temptation. I'm like, okay, it's only five more minutes. But I'm like, no, marriage is more important than sports. Let's uh, round these kids up. My dad shouts to me while I'm, like, plugging Sebastian into uh, the car. Liverpool just scored. I have no time to even go and check and, and register. Just get the kids in. Uh, quickly send Anita a message. Um, I'm so sorry, love. I'm out at since uh, I'm going to be another 45 minutes. Sorry and go. And I, I wait for it to ping, okay? So uh, I didn't uh, justify this at the uh, nine, but you can uh, help me with anyone. I, I noticed my phone kind of flash, and I'm waiting for this response. Um, and so at one of the lights, I, just, I have a quick look, and her message said, I'm here. That's all, that was it. It was a two-worder. <laughs> and I could hear the tone, I'm here. Right? And I'm way out. Man, I'm in trouble. I'm imagining I'm going to arrive. There's going to be a vehicle there. Four ladies standing in judgment, consolidation together. Um, this man uh, messing it up for his wife. Man, I'm, I'm like preparing all my excuses. I'm feeling so sorry for myself. Still pretty angry at this speed merchant who's put me in this mess. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's their fault. Um, so I'm expecting that when I arrive, I panic because I see no one. So Anita's there, she's confirmed it, but there's no one outside, which means she's waved them off. She's kind of walked in the gate and said, don't worry, everything's fine, and they've driven off. She's sitting in the shadows with two bags. I climb out of the car, love. <laughs> and she comes out of the shadows she walks up to me, she gives me a kiss, and she says, it's okay. I just feel guilty. <laughs> like, I would prefer for her to just get angry and shout and scream, and, but she says, she gives me a kiss, she says, it's okay, and you know what, it was genuine. Sometimes you can tell when it's not genuine. I could tell it was genuine, <laughs> okay? But it's about to get worse. Open up the garage door, let her in the house, she goes into the kitchen, Walk behind her, and she goes, supper? I had a great supper at Sinsa. My mom cooked it, <laughs> ate it at halftime. Haven't even thought about the fact that my wife's driving from PE at 4.30, and I'm at home, that's what she thinks, and supper should be ready when she gets, and you know what I do? So here's the sinful part, really going to rear its head ugly now. I was prepared to grovel and ask for forgiveness for, for being late. 
<laughs> I had prepared myself for that. I was not prepared because I was shocked. When she said supper, I was like, and everything in me just went, but you drove past Nanaka? <laughs> I mean, you would have driven past there. You left at 4.30. You would have driven past there at least at 4.35, uh, 4.35 the way you guys drive. And that's a good enough time. To, I didn't say any of this, by the way. These are all the thoughts that I'm sharing with you. The unsanctified thoughts in my mind. I would never say this to an eater. But I'm thinking, you should have eaten on the way. How am I meant to, you know... So while I'm like getting cross about that I'm in trouble for something else I hadn't even prepared myself for, Anita goes to the cupboard, picks up an apple, <laughs> and goes and lies on the bed. I walk in. Love, you can't have an apple. Please let me go and pick up some takeaways. No, it's fine. I'll, I'm happy. Love, I would like to make this up to you. Please let me go and get you takeaways. Mark, I don't want takeaways. I'm happy. Okay, now you're making me angry. <laughs> because, and I said this to you're making me angry. Because I'm trying to make this right, and you're clearly being passive-aggressive. She wasn't, but um, that's how. You're being passive-aggressive. You're lying here, trying to soak this all up, and you're not letting me fix this. And I, I'm, now I'm mad. And she says to me, Mark, I'm not angry with you. I'm not I actually wasn't expecting supper. I thought there's a chance you probably aren't going to prepare supper. And I'm not that hungry. And I'm not cross. But love, you aren't listening to me. <laughs> because I'm feeling guilty and you're not giving me a chance to... So she says, Mark, then tell me what will make you feel less guilty. So I said, I would just love it if you'd let me apologize. I haven't apologized, by the way. If you'd let me apologize and, um, and make it up to you. So she says, why don't you do that? And I hadn't realized up until that point, I've been so busy being angry about what's happening, I haven't actually come and said, love, I'm sorry I didn't think about supper. I'm sorry I didn't think about you. Is there something I can do to make this up to you? I haven't said that. And why haven't I said that? Pride. My pride is hurt, and I just want my guilt to be dealt with uh, by you know, offering an olive leaf. So she says, Mark, man, my, you've probably picked up she's, she's ahead of me in the race. Far more sanctified than me. But she says, Mark, then just do that. Just apologize and ask me what you can do. So I say, and it was hard. <sighs> I'm sorry. What can I do? You can make me coffee. I went and made her a cup of coffee, gave it to her. We sat there. Uh, the rest of the night was great. We've had no problems since. And just realized, man, I've got so far to go. Still. So please, I don't want you to hear tonight as we talk about sinners, saints, and slaves, I don't want you to hear that you need to be perfect and you need to be like Mother Teresa and you need to get this behavior right. We have a sinful nature that is going to stay with us until we get to heaven. And we are going to have to navigate sin and conviction and coming back to the Lord and repentance throughout our Christian walk. But God doesn't leave us alone. Like, I've saved you, I've positioned you in Christ, and now you've got this sinful nature, and you're just going to struggle with it until you die. Sorry. He doesn't do that. Paul answers this question in Romans chapter 6. I want you to look at verse um, 15. And I just realized I haven't brought my phone up, and I'm, uh, I'm never that late, hey, Matt? So, all right. Eight minutes for 
so this is what Paul preached the gospel of grace, and um, he had opponents. And the question in response to the gospel of grace is, if you preach grace and you say people are saved by grace and works don't matter, then I can live how I want to afterwards. And we see this. We see this in many people who claim to be Christians. They, their lives are even worse after they get saved because now I have an unlimited account of grace for however I behave. And you might think that's not really how, but they do. there's people who think like that. And the opponents of this gospel say that. This is what it's going to lead to. If you just preach grace and works don't matter, then what it will lead to is people just living however they want. And so this can't be the right gospel. And when I was in Oman, the Muslims have a similar viewpoint on, on sin. The, the, I would meet with a guy and uh, we'd chat about just normal everyday life stuff and he would just repeat over and over and over, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. He would say it hundreds of times in a three-hour conversation. And it means, God forgive me. So he's basically, I'm going, hey, what did you do today? I had a good day, God forgive me. I did this in the morning, God forgive me. And then I did this in the afternoon, God forgive me. And um, I'm going to eat this for supper, God forgive me. And he just keeps saying, God forgive me, hundreds of times. Eventually, it starts to irritate me. And I say to him, because I didn't want to offend him, but I, just, I couldn't get a word in. I was like, Buddy, why do you say, God forgive me, all the time? And then he says this amazing thing to me. He says, Mark... Every time I say, God, forgive me, I build credit. So I'm building 100 credit points by saying, God, forgive me 100 times. So that I can spend them on the way that I want to live 100 times. And all I've got to do is keep an equal balance. And I am in, you know, okay standing with God. And as ridiculous as that sounds to you, the Christian version of that is, I'm saved by grace and works don't matter, and so I can live however I want. It's unlimited. You're just an unlimited view of uh, the Muslim viewpoint, an unlimited view. I can do whatever I want all the time because God will, I just have to come to God and say, sorry, Lord, and you forgive me by your grace. And if that's the way a Christian's living, it raises serious questions in my mind over whether they are really saved. Because if you've experienced grace... That is not the response. The right response is not to go, yay, I get an unlimited account that I can just spend on doing whatever I want. The right response is a love for the Lord, a desire for the Lord, and a desire to progress in holiness. Even though we struggle with sinful nature, I should be better um, now than I was at 19. And I should be better in 20 years than I am now. And if that's not happening, we need to take a serious look at our Lives. In Romans chapter 6, verse 15, um, Paul says this, What then? Shall we, say, sh shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? So that's the question that's posed to him. Shall we sin because we are not under law, we are under grace? And Paul's response is emphatic. It is not hes He's not hesitant. He's not wishy-washy. He says this, certainly not. If the person's response to the gospel of grace is more and more sin, then they don't understand. Then they haven't received much. And then he says this. So I'll pause there. When I finish training, on to the third word now. So sinner, saint, and slave. 
When I finished training, I went and I joined a ship called the Doulos. And this is my second Greek word for you for the evening. Doulos means bond servant. And if I knew that before I went to the ship, I would never have gone. Because they played to that name to the T. They killed us. We painted and swept and chipped rust and worked our butts off. I remember falling on my bed black. I was, I'd worked on whatever it was, oil. I was in an overall. I was just from head to toe. The showers were half an hour away. This was in East London, so dry dock. They cut off all water. You've got to go half an hour to find toilets after you've worked 14 hours. So we started work at uh, 6 in the morning and finished at 8 p.m., one lunch, and it was heavy, heavy work, and I'm in this overall, and I'm just black, and I remember going to my room and thought, do I take my overalls off and go on a half an hour journey to the shower and a half an hour journey back, or do I fall on my bed? Guess what I did, without even taking the overalls off, just dead. Wake up in the morning, oops, oh well. Man, this ship was called Slaves. That's what its name was. And that's how they treated us. Um, they asked us to do anything, and it was, yes, jump. And a slave, doulos, it means to be completely submitted to the will of the master. You don't have a will unless it's in line with the will of the master. And this word shows up twice in this text. It says this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, doulos, you are the one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. When we were born, we were born into sin. We were sinners from birth, and sin was our master. You could not not sin. I tried. Before I came to know Christ, I tried my best. To, uh, I wanted to please him. I wanted to live rightly. I couldn't get it right for one day, let alone the 12 years, 13, 14 years I'd lived before I surrendered my heart to Christ. Couldn't get it right for one day. Sin was my master. It led me somewhere and I submitted to what it was leading me to. And that's what the world is living in. And I find it interesting when Christians judge the world and say, oh man, you've got to stop sleeping with your girlfriend. We can't expect that of non-Christians because they, don't ha they only have a sinful nature and a master who is sin, and that is leading them in that direction. They are simply fulfilling and obeying to the master. But this is what happens to the Christian. So God doesn't just leave you with a sinful nature. He does this. This is powerful. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In the same way that it was impossible not to sin before because this master was so powerful, you have actually been handed over in Christ to an even more powerful master. And this I find hugely encouraging with my sinful nature that God is giving me power over. It doesn't mean I get it right all the time and I make mistakes, but it does mean this. In the past, it was impossible for me. Sin dominated me. Sin will have no dominion over the Christian. They might sin, they might make mistakes, but it has no dominion. It cannot dominate a Christian anymore. He is a slave to righteousness. Makes mistakes, but the power that he's under submission to is uh, righteousness. 
And I mean, I'm going to waffle a bit, so I'm going to hand over to a theologian that uh, can say this a lot better than me. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this. No one stands still morally or spiritually. Just as unbelievers progress from sinfulness to greater sinfulness, a believer who is not growing in righteousness, though never falling back altogether out of righteousness, will slip further and further back into sin. God's purpose in redeeming men from sin is not to give them freedom to do as they please, but freedom to do as he pleases, which is to live righteously. I want to say that last line again because that contains the essence. God's purpose in redeeming men from sin is not to give them freedom to do as they please, but freedom to do as he pleases, which is to live righteously. God moved me into a position in Christ, positional holiness. But then he puts his Holy Spirit in me, and the Holy Spirit works with me, and it's called progressive righteousness or progressive holiness. He starts to change me, and he will win because I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I'm a slave to righteousness, a higher power, a greater master. But if I said to you, take these three guys here. I'm including myself if you only see two, right? Matt, Joe, and me. Who's the most well-positioned in Christ? And the answer is none of us. We are all equally positioned in Christ. So you might look at someone and go, wow, they are so doing so well for the Lord. You might look at someone else and they're not doing so great. But the answer to who positional holiness is, positional holiness is equal for every believer. Every believer is equally positioned in Christ. We're equal saints before the Lord. Because it's his work. He does it and he does it equally for all of us. But progressive righteousness or progressive holiness, we're involved with that. And that's the problem. Because we are limited and because we are weak and because we struggle with the sinful nature and because we just make bad decisions and bad choices, some of us are making good decisions and good choices and allowing more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And he's molding us and shaping us and we are progressing further and faster. So... While Matt, Joe, and I can tell you emphatically we are all equal, equally posi- positioned in Christ, I cannot tell you where we are in relation to each other in progression. Joey might be ahead of me. Matt might be ahead of me. Some of you might be more sure of that than I am, and that's fine. But that should motivate you. If I can surrender to the Lord and allow Him to come, And I already understand my identity. I am a saint, and better than that, I'm even a slave to righteousness. It means all of this lingering sin that I feel like I can't deal with, that's nonsense. I'm no longer a slave to that. I am a slave to righteousness, and I'm empowered. I could never please God before. I could never live righteously before, but I can do it now. I'm not going to get it right 100% of the time, but I am empowered by the Holy Spirit to live righteously now. And I should make progress. And you know what's awesome is I look at my life now and it's confirmation of what God did when I was 14. 
as much as I'm still sinful and mess up and treat Anita badly, there's obvious things that have happened to me and progress that has been made. And every time I look at that, that's not what saved me. I got saved justified. But the confirmation of me being justified is my sanctification that I can point to. And I think someone who has no sanctification, no progression, after 20 years, needs to ask himself a serious question. There are many people sitting in church identifying with Christianity for various reasons who have never truly met Jesus and have never truly experienced the grace of Christ. Because if you experience his grace, the natural outflow is uh, his spirit gets poured out into you and the spirit works on you and moves you towards Jesus. He's making you more and more like Christ. And the end of that story is one day we'll stand before God and he finishes the job. And the sinful nature that still bugs me, and I know it bugs you, if you are a true believer, it irritates you that you still make mistakes, that you still hurt people, that you still do the wrong thing. It irritates you. And our hope, our great hope is that one day at the end, God will glorify me and that means he completes the work and I become exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. We will become just like him. That's the promise. But until that happens, I can look at my progression and have confirmation and go, thank you, Lord. I know that I'm in your hands. And 2 Corinthians chapter 15 says, we must examine to see whether we were in the faith. There's a false, many false gospels. And if you've responded to a gospel that said, just receive Jesus by grace and no one really guided you afterwards and you've kind of just meandered along and lived exactly how you lived before or even worse, then it's a false gospel. It's not the evidence that you are saved comes with the works after you are saved. So John Piper says, salvation is by grace alone, but it doesn't come alone. The follow-through is God changes you. You should be able to look back at that and see that. And so I want to say this to you today, church. You're not a, just a sinner. If you're a true believer, you are a saint. And, you're, and I know it's a negative word. But you're also a slave. But your master is a good master. When you were a slave to sin, you had a harsh master, a harsh taskmaster. Now you're a slave to an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, um, and all-loving God who just wants the best for you. And on the ship, even in my darkest, tiredest moment, I remember the Holy Spirit coming along. I remember being at the bottom of the ship, and I had to wrench off um, these bolts that were, they were massive. And I had this wrench that was so long, had to hook it on and then mosey on over to the end of the wrench, which felt further than I'm even standing, but I do exaggerate, I understand that. And I would <laughs> kick this thing to try and loosen one of these bolts. And the manhole was perfectly positioned in the corner, right? So you kick and it doesn't turn because it hits the wall. And I've got to take off 20 of these bolts. And I remember just sweat, sweat pouring off me. The, the, the thing was about this high. So I'm, I'm lying prostrate. And I had to take, open up about 10 of these by myself. And I'm down there at the bottom of the ship, sweating, 4 o'clock in the morning. Everyone else sleeping peacefully. You can see how my mind works. And kicking. And, and then suddenly I started laughing. And I just, it was the best laugh I've ever had. 
I just started laughing and laughing and laughing. And in that moment, I just felt the Holy Spirit come to me and say, Mark, it's not going to get any worse than this. <laughs> this is rock bottom, buddy. And how do you feel? I feel okay. Why? Because I know you're with me. That's how I felt, guys. In the worst space on the ship, I was with my best friend and my master and my king, and he was comforting me and putting his arm around me and going, the enemy's trying to get you down. He's trying to get you all disappointed and dispirited. And look at you here. Even when he's given you his best shot, you can still laugh. Man. Guys, it's good to be a servant of the king. It's good to be a slave of righteousness. I'm going to end off with some application points with the three minutes we've got. Some questions I want you to ask yourself is, what is your viewpoint of sin tonight? Do you have a low view? Is it something you don't find too important? Like, I'm saved, so it doesn't really matter. Because um, I think that we should have a very high view of sin. It should bug us. It should bug us when we see it, and it will show up. And we should want it to change. It should be something that makes me run to God and say, God, I'm feeling convicted about this thing. Would you, you're the only one who can actually work this out of me. I want to surrender to you. I want you to, because the, one, the biggest block to sanctification, if I look across the room, guys, I can't see what's happening in your lives. So just feel safe with that. I don't have that gifting. But if I look across the room, I know that the thing that's stopping you from progressing the most is sin. I don't know what the sin is. It might be uh, unforgiveness, anger, lust. Um, there's any number of things it could be. But if you're holding on to the stuff, addictions, the church is, can I give you one stat that scares me and we are not ready for this and we need to get our butts in gear because I'm looking at my son and your sons and going, guys, we have no idea what's coming. Do you know that there's a Christian website called Pure Desire and they have an anonymous screening test. So everyone who goes on there can answer all the questions and it's to do with sexual addiction and they answer and then at the end they, they, they get a, a result. And the stats coming out of this anonymous uh, questionnaire is 67% uh, of Christian. This isn't non-Christians going on to pure desire. They don't care. But Christians are going on to pure desire, struggling with pornography or some form of sexual sin, and they're answering these questionnaires, and 67% of men in the church are struggling with this as an addiction. Addiction. That means I can't stop. I want to stop, but I can't stop. And we're not ready for this because churches don't really talk about it, and I don't see too many programs for the guy struggling with pornography to come in and we'll, uh, we'll help you. And we think that oh, it's a prayer and I say sorry and you get better. That's not how addiction works. You can't fix it on your own, not even with a prayer, not even with a Bible verse. Addiction is a long-term thing. It takes you a long time to get addicted. It takes you a long time to get out of it. And you need support and you need structures and you need accountability. And this isn't accountability. Hey, I struggled with pornography this week. Oh, me too. Okay, good. That's not accountability. Accountability is, I refuse to allow this in your life, and it must change. 
I had accountability like that as a teenager, where I would tell someone I'm struggling with this, and then he would tell me he's struggling with it as well, and we'd both feel better. It's false accountability. If it doesn't lead to change in our lives, it's false accountability. If 67% of men and girls, you're not off. Girls also go onto the site. Girls also answer the questionnaire. And the fastest growing uh, demographic for pornography at the moment is young women. Fastest growing. 30% of Christian women in the church answer this questionnaire. Addicted to pornography. Pastors. They have a section where pastors answer. Anonymous. And the percentages go down slightly. It was 58%. So 67% Christian male, 58% pastor, most of them males. Struggling addiction to pornography. And that's what the church is facing. And it's all quiet. And sex is so accessible. It's so digital. The kids can get there faster than us. At school, we've got iPads. They are running rings around us. We've got firewalls and all sorts of security. And you can ask Peter Johnson. He is constantly having people, smart guys, figure out ways. to. Okay, now we've got to, they found a way in here and they found a way. And, and, and parents aren't ready for this. And the kids are exposed. And the church isn't talking about it. It's all done quietly because it's a shameful, embarrassing sin. And why aren't we progressing with sanctification? Because sin blocks sanctification. It doesn't remove you from the hand of God. If you are saved, you are saved. God, God does that. So you go, oh, well, then it doesn't matter. It does matter. Because you're going to be the most miserable Christian for the next 50 years if you just choose to live in sin. And you are not going to progress or grow at all. And... There's how, how can you have assurance? How can you have confirmation that it was ever real in the first place if there's no evidence of progress? The second thing you can do is what we prayed in worship, total surrender to Jesus. Are you totally surrendered? Yes, I'm a Christian, but if you, um, and this isn't even I'm harboring sinful things, it's just uh, if I'm prioritizing other things in my life over God, then I'm not in total surrender. And I often ask myself this because I see it. Man, I wake up in the morning. Let me hold up another thing to convict us. I take my Bible and my phone. Big mistake. Some of you are better than me at this, I hope. And how many times Anita comes when I thought I was going to have a nice quiet time and I just got a bit distracted? And you go, well, that's not too bad. That's not real sin. That's just a phone. But if it starts to steal from your first love, then I'd say to you, guys, how surrendered are we to the Lord? If you want to progress in sanctification, you need to do what we did tonight. You need to come to Jesus. And even if you don't know how to do it, you need to say, someone after the um, nine came to me and said, I want to surrender, but I can't. So what do I do? And I said, you go to God, just like you've just spoken to me. And you say, God, I want to surrender, but I can't. Help me. When Jesus healed a sick kid, the father came to him and said, will you heal him? And Jesus said, I'll heal him if you believe. And he said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. In other words, I don't believe. But help me. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Are you surrendered to the Lord? What about this? Are we getting into the word? 
You're not going to progress in your sanctification if the Bible is something you only receive on a Sunday, maybe a few minutes at other times in the day. And another habit we're getting into is, and I do it too, man, I love YouTube. I listen to a lot of wholesome stuff. Hey, Nikki. Nikki and I are having a conversation on uh, watching stuff, so I'm going to embarrass her a little bit here, but you, 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 she's in the same boat as all of us. But so she's, she says, I was watching a show. I can't remember what it was. Sorry, Nikki, I'm not going to name it. And so I go, oh, uh, was it wholesome? So I'm trying to like tease her here. She goes, oh, yeah, it was wholesome. It's wholesome because, and this is our culture. It's wholesome because there's no sex in it. That's wholesome. Let me tell Then she goes, what do you mean by wholesome? I said, this is what I mean by wholesome. I prepared for this sermon by listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon on YouTube. Listen to this. Great sermon. Great teaching. Views. Been on the internet since 2005. Views. 40. 40 people in 15 years have listened to one of the greatest sermons of all time. But the cat video is on 20 million views. <laughs> So are we getting wholesome stuff in here or are we just surfing YouTube and that's going to slow us down? And praying. Man, you want to grow with the Lord, just spend some time talking to him. He loves you. He's going to talk back to you if you spend time, if you give him time. And then the last one is, and this is huge. Someone else came up to me. So two people responded in the morning service. They came up to me and one person said, I feel like I haven't made any progress for ages. And I said, just speak a little bit about that, and very quickly it came up. No, God wanted me to do something, and I said no. You gotta, if God speaks to you and tells you to do something, we've got to be obedient. If we're not obedient, it's going to slow it down. So just say that again. Have a high viewpoint on sin. Sin will show up, guys. You don't have to go looking for it. It's going to show up. It's going to get you. When it does, don't go, oh, that's not so bad, that's okay, I'll let that hang around. Have a high view, on, I want this thing out, go to the Lord straight away. And um, total surrender, constantly check yourself, am I living in surrender? And if I'm not, that's a good prayer to pray always. Lord, I want to be surrendered to you, help me. Spend more time in the Word than what you're doing. Spend more time praying than what you're doing. And when God tells you to do something, and He will, do it. Yesterday, I had another good conversation with one of you sitting here, and this lady said to me, Mark, you know, God's just speaking to me. And I'm hungry, and I want to do what he's telling me to do. Man, 50 years old, never been in such a good place with the Lord. And her heart is, you speak to me, I just want to do what you say you want me to do. I said to her, are you involved? Yeah, no, I'm getting involved in this and this. Are you involved, church, or do you just come, sit on a Sunday, and head off? Because one of the first things I think God's going to say to you when you really want to listen is, I want you to serve me here. I want you to help Nikki in children's ministry. I want you to, and if you're going, I have no idea where to be involved, I'm going to be a pastoral care minister here. I was given a job description that's going to take me a few months to work through all of the bullet points, and I need help in every single one of those things. And when I saw that, you know, I actually got so encouraged. I was like, wow, man, there's so much going on in this church. Come and ask me. There's something for you to put your hand to and do. You're going to grow in the Lord when you're doing that with the right heart.